This is Isaiah 64. If only you would tear open the heavens and come down, mountains would quake before you like fire igniting brushwood or making water boil. If you would make your name known to your enemies, the nations would tremble in your presence. When you accomplished wonders beyond all our expectations, when you came down, mountains quaked before you. From ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God but you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You look after those who gladly do right. They will praise you for your ways. But you were angry when we sinned. You hid yourself when we did wrong. We have all become like the unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a menstrual rag. All of us wither like a leaf. Our sins, like the wind, carry us away. No one calls on your name. No one bothers to hold on to you, for you have hidden yourself from us and have handed us over to our sin. But now, Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. All of us are the work of your hand. Don't rage so fiercely, Lord. Don't hold our sins against us forever, but gaze now on your people, all of us. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a wasteland. Our holy, glorious house, where our ancestors praised you, has gone up in flames. All that we treasured has become a ruin. After all this, will you hold back, Lord? Will you keep silent and torment us so terribly? This is the word of the Lord. We're starting off uh, the first Sunday of Advent. Obviously, you can tell that already. And Advent really is a time where we think about uh, anticipating the celebration of the birth of Jesus and we celebrate Christmas. It's also a time of anticipation that we anticipate the next coming of Jesus as well. So Jesus came once and we believe that Jesus will come again. And so we're in this season of expectation, a season of waiting for Christmas. And I know that there are like there are two different types or ways to wait, right? If you're if you're, if you, has anybody ever stood in line to get on a roller coaster? Everybody had to wait like in a long line to get on an amusement ride or a roller coaster. So you're waiting, but you're excited to get on the, you know, but you can't wait to get on the roller coaster, right? Or maybe you're sitting here and you're starting to see the Christmas decorations go up and you're starting to see the stores change over. And if you're a younger generation, you may be thinking, oh, I can't wait for Christmas. You know, I'm waiting. I'm expecting. It's an excited waiting. You know, it's, a, it's like a, I can't wait for Christmas to get here waiting. The other type of waiting is waiting for help to arrive, waiting for God to show up, waiting for rescue, right? Uh, a friend and uh, seminary friend of mine, uh, when I was at seminary in New England, Boston, uh, he was spent uh, his winter, one winter on Mount Washington, which is the highest uh, mountain on the East Coast in New Hampshire, and he lived uh, for six months in the wintertime on Mount Washington by himself with his dog, and his job was to go rescue people who got themselves into trouble. Uh, in one particular scenario, there were some ice climbers that fell into a ravine and couldn't get themselves out, so he had to go rescue them and call in rescue uh, resources to get them out of the ravine and get them to safety, and I think about that kind of help, right, that kind of waiting. Think about the people that fell in the ravine, it's freezing cold out, they're suffering from hypothermia, they're waiting for a few hours for help to come. They're waiting 
for someone to arrive to rescue them, to get them out of the predicament that they're in, that they got themselves into, by the way. They were the ones that got themselves in that place. And so they were waiting, but it's a different kind of waiting, right? Like we can't wait till rescue. We can't wait till somebody gets here because we're, we're cold, we're hungry, we're hurt, we're tired. That's a different kind of waiting, isn't it? So there's this waiting that is excitement, and then there's this waiting for help. It's a, it's a different type of waiting, and Isaiah talks about that. But notice that prayer starts out a different way. In, in the book of Isaiah, the, word, the name Isaiah means the Lord saves, or the Lord rescues, or the Lord helps, right? So that's the idea even behind the whole prophet of Isaiah, that, that, that people are waiting. These are people who are in exile who've been taken in exile and taken into captivity. Some of them are returning back home. And you heard in the prayer, you know, that, that Jerusalem is a wasteland because it's been destroyed. And so they're returning to this wasteland and they're waiting. They're, they're waiting for help to arrive. They're waiting for God to show up. And they know the prayer is a prayer of lament. It starts this way in verse 1. If only you would tear open the heavens and come down. God, would you just come here? Would you just show up? Would you come and help us? Would you rescue us? Like, that's the, that's the heart of the prayer here. It's a prayer of disruption, really, that God would disrupt things and come down to earth. And we celebrate at Christmas this idea that Jesus came to earth, that Jesus, that God showed up, right? That God came. But maybe not the way that we expected God to show up, right? You ever pray this prayer? You ever pray a prayer like that? Like, God, would you just come down? Like, would you, would you put things right? Would you come into our world? Because you know, things are, I don't like the way things are going. <laughs> Could you just show up? Could you do something, God? That's a prayer, you know? You know, recently we've been, we've been in a season of waiting, haven't we, around COVID, right? We waited to get out of quarantine. We waited for things to open back up. We, we waited for vaccines. We waited for booster shots. We waited for our kids to get vaccinated. We're still waiting. We're still in this season of waiting for things. And what are we waiting for? What are we hoping for? The things that kind of go back to normal, right? Well, will, God, will anything go back to normal? Well, can we get back to some kind of normalcy? That's, that's how they felt. That's how the Israelites felt. Like they wanted God to show up and to put things right and to put things back into place and redeem them and rescue them and help them. And so that's this prayer. This is the prayer we're looking at today in Isaiah. Notice the prayer, though, reveals a couple things about who God is when we pray. And one of the, one of the verses, that's a couple that stuck at me, one was verse 3. It says this. Notice that it talks about God and our expectations of God. It says, when you accomplish wonders beyond all our expectations, when you came down, mountains quake before you. Again, this prayer that God would come down. And this idea was that it's beyond our expectation of how God's going to do that. So the NIV, another translation, puts it uh, that God came in a way that we didn't expect. So another way of translating that is in a way that we don't expect or ways we don't expect. And you know, I wonder if we don't always see God or understand what God is doing because we're still saying to God, I want you to come in the way that I expect you to come <laughs> rather than coming in a way that maybe we don't expect. Uh, an example of this was actually uh, some time ago, I was leaving church after Sunday services and I was driving out and there was a campus security, SPU security cruiser was sitting here on the side of uh, Dravis, right outside of our church. And there was a, a, a person having a crisis, a homeless person that was in crisis on the church steps. And so, um, so I kind of circled back around, parked my car, went over, talked to the security officer, and this person is in crisis. 
And so we're wait he says, well, I called Seattle Police Department, and I'm waiting for them to arrive, which is protocol for campus security. And so we're waiting, and I said, you know, I think, I'll, I think I'm going to try and talk to this person, try and see if I can what we call de-escalate this person. Now, I say this, and I would also say I'm not recommending you do this. So I'm not saying this is something you should do, but I used to work as a mental health counselor, and I worked with people with severe mental illnesses, and so when they were struggling, and I had to help people in crisis this way. So I have a little bit of experience. What I'm saying is, so, uh, you know, don't feel like you have to do this. I'm not trying to put that on anybody. But I, th I thought to myself, campus security, he didn't really know what to do. He was just waiting for the police to arrive. And uh, so I thought, I'm going to try and engage this person and see if I can help them in some way. So I began talking to this person, and they were not making sense at all. They were obviously suffering from a what I would call a severe mental illness, and uh, they were not making sense. And I kept trying to talk to them, ask their name, just make casual conversation, find out more about them, because how can we help this person? You know, how are we going to be able to help? But this person was not coherent, not able to articulate. And so finally, I, he, he began to calm down somewhat. And then as I began to talk with him more and he began to calm down more, he began to de-escalate. He reached into his backpack and he pulled out a Bible and he opened up his Bible and he pulled out a card and he reached out to me with the card. And I thought, okay, now we're getting somewhere. He's trying to communicate to me. And so I went over and I grabbed the card. It was this social security card with his name on it and his social security number right on it. And I was like, all right, you need to keep this safe. You know, I told him, like, keep it in your bio, hide it. But this was his way of telling me who he was, right? Even though he couldn't articulate it mentally, even though his thought, he couldn't put his thoughts together to communicate, he was communicating to me his name and who he was. And he was actually, in his own way, saying, yeah, I do need help. So then, at this point, EMTs arrive. They come in an ambulance. They, I talk to them. And they're offering three warm meals, a warm bed, and, an eva and a doctor to be able to see a doctor, evaluate uh, his, what he's going through. And so he was reluctant to go with them, but we were having a conversation. And uh, I, I thought we kind of had, had him to the point where he was maybe going to go get some help and the help that he really needed. And he was going to get cared for. And uh, I, we get to that point, and then this, so meanwhile, like 30, 40 minutes have gone by, and then, then arrives Seattle Police Department, and as soon as the police show up, he runs away. And I thought about that episode, because what we thought needed to happen was not what needed to happen. We, we thought we needed protection from him, right? So we call the police. But what was really needed, what he needed, was he needed help, right? And he just didn't know how to get it because he was suffering from mental illness. So this is the thing, is that, that what we need and what other people need, and in particular in this situation, what was needed is not what we expected, right? So here's the thing, here's the point. Sometimes what we expect to happen is not what needs to happen. Sometimes what we expect to happen is not what needs to happen. And a lot of times when we, are, when we pray to God for God to show up and to reveal God's self to us, we're often thinking that God's going to show up in a certain way, right? We expect. But that's maybe not what needs to happen. God shows up in the way that needs to happen, not the way we expect God to show up. So that's one thing we learn about God, this, the God in this prayer, that Isaiah, the God, our God in this prayer 
The other thing is in, in, in another verse, in verse 4, it says this about we really can't perceive God sometimes. But it says this, from ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God but you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him, wait for him. See, all throughout Isaiah, it's talking about that God comes and shows up when people are waiting for God and, and waiting in, in, in faith for God to show up. And really in a way that says, God, we, we just want you to show up. We don't care how you get here. We don't know how, what you do. Would you just show up, right? Would you just come be with us? That's the prayer in Isaiah. Would you rip open the heavens and come down and be with us, right? That, that's the Advent prayer, the, the prayer for God to come. So, for example, how many times do we, have you ever prayed for healing for somebody? You pray for somebody to be healed, and sometimes that's miraculous. You know, we want this miracle healing, right? And we think that God's only going to work through the miracle. That's our expectation for God. That's our perception of God. And God can do that. I've seen God do that. But sometimes I've also seen medical doctors and nurses and medications and things help heal people. So here's my prayer. If I'm praying for healing, I'm saying to God, God, I don't care how you do it, just do it. <laughs> like, I don't care what method you want to use. I don't care about how you want to handle this situation. God, we're just bringing this situation to you, and we're putting it in your hands. And you do whatever you need to do through whoever you need to do it to help the healing to come here. So we place no expectations on it. We just simply wait for God to come. And so that's waiting and not ex with God and just saying to God, God, you do whatever needs to be done. Example, uh, I, oh, this is a cool example and answer to prayer, actually. Uh, a few weeks ago, we took a prayer walk on Aurora Avenue uh, up on North Aurora, and a group of us prayed. Caleb, here, who's here, led us in that prayer group. We did a prayer walk up and down Aurora Avenue, and uh, we prayed. I mean, our prayer was, God, would you show up in this neighborhood? Would you be here in this neighborhood? Uh, Heather, my wife, she was re uh, reading in the news just a couple, I don't know, it was a week or two ago, and there was a news report that, that two young women were rescued from human sex trafficking on Aurora Avenue, and they were reunited with their families, and the person, that, the perpetrator was arrested. And we, we heard that news report, and we go, hmm, you know, we were just praying that, right? We were just praying for that. We were praying for God to show up. Now, we didn't say God show up, uh, you know, we, we, you know we, we weren't telling God how to show up, right? But God showed up for these two women, two young women, and, and, they, and God and helped them. But who, through who? Through people. People came into their lives and helped them and rescued them, right? And I think about that, how God does that, right? How God works that way, right? That God oftentimes is using the hands and feet of God's people to do God's work, so are we willing to allow God to work in that way in our lives? You know, think about all the people that wait. we're getting in Christmas season. Think of, who are some of the people that you think of? When we think about Christmas, and I'm thinking not Santa, so erase Santa Claus from your mind. But I'm going to ask you for some of that. So when you think of people who are involved in the birth of Jesus, who comes to mind? Who are some people that come to mind? Just go ahead, shout it out. This is interaction. Mary, who said Mary. Mary, yeah, Mary, right? Great example. So Mary came, God came to Mary in a, a very unexpected way. She did not expect any of that, right? And notice how long did Mary have to wait, not just for the birth of Jesus, for God to come, but for Jesus to reveal himself. 
30 years. If you go into the Gospels and you think about when Mary is at the wedding in Cana of Galilee and Mary is there with Jesus and they run out of wine. And so what does Mary do? Mary goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, you need to help. You know, she knew who he was. And she said, you need to help them. And, he, and what is his response? It's not yet my time. But what does he do? He listens to his mother, right? Which is a great lesson to, to many of us, right? But anyway, but notice that she couldn't wait for Jesus to reveal who he was. She couldn't wait for him to reveal this, right? So at the wedding, she's like, it's time, it's time. I'm ready. I've been waiting long. I've been waiting 30 years, Jesus. It's time. And that's the beginning of his ministry. God shows up. Think, who else is in the Christmas story? Who else is in the birth story that you think of? How about Zechariah? You heard of Zechariah? Zechariah is in the temple and he can't speak for nine months. He had to wait nine months to get his voice back. And then when John the Baptist is born, he gets his voice back. He had to wait. But the people that I really think about in the story, and maybe you didn't think about these two people, but are these two saints called Anna and Simeon. And Anna and Simeon are waiting in the temple. They've been praying their whole lives for God to be revealed, for God to show up in their lives. They've been praying their whole lives for God to do something. Think about that, their whole, the whole time. And they're well along in age, they're older, and they're in the temple, and Mary and Joseph walk in with this infant in their arms, and what is their response? God has come to us. Finally. They waited longer than anybody. And they praise God. But notice this too. They recognized it in the child. God came in a way that they didn't expect or perceive of God coming. But they knew that God was, was there immediately. They recognized that it was God, right? Because they, why? Because they had been prayerfully waiting. And what does Isaiah say? That God comes to those who are waiting, faithfully waiting. Anna and Simeon are great examples of that. Then the prayer takes a, takes a little turn here in verse 8. Because the, in Isaiah, up until this point, the, the prayer has been about God ruling and God is like the ruler of the world. But notice the shift in language to how God is addressed here. It says, but now, Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. All of us are the work of your hand. This is an acknowledgement that of relationship to God. Again, where we're saying to God, you mold us. We don't mold you. We're the clay. You're the potter. We don't do what we expect. We want you to do whatever you need to do with our lives. Mold us. Shape us. Right? You know, but how often do we kind of like say to God, God, you know, do we say, does, the, does the clay ever say to the potter, hey, would you make me into a, a vase instead of a coffee mug? No, it's up to the potter to decide. I do want to be a coffee mug, by the way, if that's, that's, if that's a request I can make. I like coffee, sorry. So think about that. Like, are, are, are we willing to pray that prayer? You know, a prayer like this, that's a dangerous prayer, a scary prayer. It says, God, you do whatever you need to do with molding me. 
shaping me. The whole book of Isaiah is about a people of unclean lips, as Isaiah says in chapter 6, and that God is coming and saving them and rescuing them and bringing them into being a holy people again. It's this process of transformation for them. And so are we willing to enter into this process where God just molds us and shapes us and we're willing to say, God, you do whatever you need to do with my life. Will you mold me? Will you shape me? Even beyond my expectation, beyond my perception, right? That's a scary prayer, isn't it? To pray. Because oftentimes we want to do the molding. We want to do the shaping. We want to fit into our way of doing things and thinking about things. And then the prayer ends with a question of God. Saying, God, are you, are you going to show up in our lives? Are you going to come? These were people in exile. They had been uh, taken in exile. There, some of them were returning from exile and captivity. And now they're coming back. And so they say, God, are you going to show up? Are you going to do something here? And here's God's answer. It's actually, we didn't read it this morning, but it's the very next verse in chapter 65. Verse 1 says this. God says, I was ready to respond to those who didn't ask. I was ready to be found by those who didn't look for me. I said, I'm here, I'm here to a nation that didn't call on my name. And so this is this response. Like God is saying, I'm here. (laughs) I've been here all along. Even if you weren't looking for me, I'm still here. I'm available, I'm present, I showed up. (laughs) Maybe you just missed it. Maybe... You were looking for me somewhere else in another way or within your own expectations or perceptions. There's a great story um, in a book that I've been given and been reading. It's actually uh, written by somebody in our church. His name's uh, Frank Ogden. He was a surgeon, missionary surgeon in Africa. And it's a book called Big Knife. He's got copies. He told me this morning, I saw him earlier, he said, I still got free copies if anybody wants one. So, um, But in this book... He tells a lot of stories about his life, and they're very uh, interesting stories. But I, one story I really loved was, at the be- was near the beginning of the book, which is about his family. And it wasn't about Frank, but about his father and how his family became Christians. And uh, they were actually, his family, his father was growing up in Oregon, in Portland, Oregon. And it was in ni- the year was 1913, and his family, father's family, was moving from Portland, Oregon to Gresham, Oregon, which is about seven miles apart. And they were going by horse and wagon, though. So they put all their worldly possessions into a wagon. They loaded it up one day, and they were moving to a house in Gresham, Oregon. And they got started late in the... After they got everything loaded in the wagon, got started, it was late in the day, and it was wintertime. And what time does the sun go down around here? Pretty early, right? So it was only... Even though to you and I, seven miles doesn't seem like a long time. It's a long time in the winter on an open, wag- you know, open wagon, a horse-drawn wagon. And so they are in the darkness, and they're going down this road in the woods, and it's pitch black. There are no street lights. There's no way to see what's going on. There's all these, you know, there's no way to know where they're going. And they're on this road, and they keep going, they keep going. And they're like, did we miss a turn? Are we on the right road? It's too dark to tell out where we're, we can't tell where we're at. And so they just kept going along this dark road in the middle of the woods, in the cold, and then all of a sudden they said they saw a little flicker of light from a kerosene lamp, and it was a house down the road, in the window of a house down the road. And so they got to the house, and it was the home of uh, the known as the Caffey family. 
and the Kathy family, they stopped in and they inquired, you know, we're going to this house, where is it? And they're like, well, it's further down the road, but it's not ready for you to move in. And there's nobody there. And they say, yeah, we're going to be the new neighbors for you all. And they say, well, the wood stove's not set up and you couldn't start a fire and it's not ready. So why don't you just stay the night here in our house? So they moved everybody into their house. They spent the night there. They fed the family. They got up the next morning and the Kathy family went with them and the Ogden family and the Kathy family went and they moved them into the house, got the wood stove set up, got their worldly possessions into the house. And then that was a Saturday. And so the Kathy family who were going to the Free Methodist Church in Gresham invited them to church the next day and said, well, why don't you all come to church with us tomorrow? And after all this hospitality and care for them, they said, yeah, we'll, we'll come. Now, at this point, they, they were not churchgoers. They were not Christians. And so the next day, they went to the First Methodist Church, or not the First Methodist, the Free Methodist Church. We're First Methodist Church, sorry. The, went to the Methodist, Free Methodist Church in Gresham, Oregon. And it's there in that church that they found Jesus and became followers of Jesus and became members of that church. And that's how Frank became a Free Methodist in his family. I thought about that. All that because of a light in the darkness. A little flicker of light in a dark world. Notice how a little flicker of light disrupts darkness. Notice how the prayer that we just read is a prayer for God to disrupt the world we're in. To come, disrupt it. And so in this series, we're going to be talking about how God disrupts us, but in good ways. Because all it takes is a flicker of light when we're in the darkness. So if you're waiting for God, if you're in a dark place today, if you need some hope, just look for that flicker of light that God is there. Amen? Let's pray together.